0: A few years ago, before I was called to Standwich, I was working at my previous call. I was in New York City, and I was working one afternoon in my office, and the phone rang. And it was the husband and father of a wife and children that I had done a lot of ministry with, but I didn't know the father very well. And he called me one day, and he sounded a little bit nervous on the phone, and he said, he said, Nathan, you know, I've never spoken with a counselor or a therapist or a pastor, but I think I need to come talk to you. So I said, sure, when can you come over? And he happened to be in the neighborhood, so he came right over. And I remember when he came off the elevator, he looked a little bit nervous, didn't know what to do with himself, and so I said, come have a seat right here. And he sat down in front of me, and I said, so how you doing? And he said, you know, Nathan, I just feel like my wife and I are constantly at war with each other. And then he kind of leaned back in his chair a little bit and looked out the window and he gestured as if to refer to the whole world. And he said, you know, I guess it shouldn't surprise me. Nations are at war with each other. People are at war with each other. Why should it be any surprise that husbands and wives are at war with each other as well? So my question tonight is, is he right? Are people just naturally at war with each other? And if so... Is there any hope for peace? And if there's hope for peace, what does peace look like? I want us to ask those three questions tonight, honestly. We can ask those questions of the Bible, and the Bible will give us answers to all three. Are people naturally at war with each other? Is there any hope for peace? And what does peace look like? As you may know, we're now in our second week of our Isaiah series throughout the summer. It just so happened that this text in God's providence was chosen for today, and I think it speaks very powerfully to us in our current situation. So let's ask that first question together tonight. Are we naturally, our people naturally at war with each other? To answer this question, we need to go to the beginning, not just the beginning of Isaiah, but the beginning of the whole Bible back to the garden, back to where God created his people and created a design in which for them to live. He created Adam and Eve. You probably know the story. They were living in harmony, not war. They were living in harmony with God and with one another. They were using the work of their hands and the tools of their hands to cultivate the garden to grow fruit, that they would enjoy that fruit, that they would bring life to one another, not death. That's how God created human beings, to live in harmony with him, in harmony with one another, to be cultivators of a garden. But then something shifted, something changed, something that would change human nature itself. Adam and Eve chose to break the one law that God had for them. They ate of the forbidden fruit and they wanted to be like God, it says. And suddenly they experienced when sin was introduced into the equation, they experienced a shift in their nature. No longer were they in harmony with God. No longer were they in unity with one another. They then experienced distrust, disunity, strife, anger, even war with one another. The reason I say war with one another is because after Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out of the garden, and then they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Do you remember these details of the story? Cain, the older son, it says in Genesis chapter 4, he had a job in the family. His job was that he was a cultivator. He was the farmer. He was the one whose job it was to, to use tools to open up the earth, to plant seeds, to grow crops and fruit for one another, just like it was in the garden. That was Cain's job, it says. And one day, Cain begins to grow jealous of his younger brother, Abel. He thinks that God likes Abel more than he likes him. And they're out in the field, it says in Genesis chapter 4. They're out in the field where Cain is supposed to be cultivating in God's design, but instead, in his jealousy, in his anger, what does he do? Let's look at Genesis 4, verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. You see, what he was supposed to be doing out there in the field was reflecting God's design that he would be cultivating, that he'd be using his hands and the tools of his hands to cultivate, to grow, to bring life to others. But because sin had entered in, he did something else with his hands. He killed his own brother. That's the first generation after God's design in Adam and Eve. Something shifted in our very nature. They inherited it from their parents. And Abel's kids inherited it from him. And their kids inherited it from them. All the way down, we all have inherited this sin nature from our parents as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says that we are all, by nature, children of wrath. Now, this isn't very pleasant to think about, is it? Pretty depressing sermon so far. But it leads us to our second question. The answer to the first question, by the way, is because of sin, yes, we are by nature at war with each other. But the answer to the second question, is there any hope for peace, is because of Jesus, yes. Yes, we are by nature at war with each other, but yes, because of Jesus, there is hope for peace. And that's when we get to Isaiah. You can bring up Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. I just want to read these with you. This starts to point to the promise of peace and then ultimately what peace would look like. Here's what it says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Keep going. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. I'm going to stop right there and just explain. Do you see what Isaiah has given us in these few verses? He's given us two pictures he wants us to see. One is of a time when the hill in Jerusalem would be lifted up higher than the other hills, and all nations would be drawn to it. And the second image that he has us see here is when the word of God would go from Jerusalem to the nations. Those are the two pictures Isaiah wants us to see. When the hill in Jerusalem would be lifted up and all people would be drawn to it. And then when the word of God would go from Jerusalem to the nations, that would create the possibility of peace. Let's look at those two pictures. When the hill of Jerusalem would be lifted up. Now, I've been to Jerusalem. I was just there in March. And the hill in Jerusalem, in the middle of Jerusalem where the temple mounted, it's not the tallest hill around. There's higher mountains around Jerusalem. But Isaiah points to a time when that hill would be lifted up higher than all the other nations. I can't help but think that Isaiah, though he, whether he knew it or not, was pointing to the time when Jesus would die on the cross. Jesus said in John chapter 12, when I am lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. See, Isaiah's prediction came true. When, when Jesus is lifted up, when the hill of Calvary, when the cross of Christ was lifted high, all the nations would be drawn unto him. And when we were in Israel just a couple of months ago, my wife, Nancy, made this great observation. We were going around to various places in Israel, and we kept bumping into other groups of Christians from all over the world. Nigeria, Canada, France, England, all these different nations. And she pulled me aside at one point, and she said, you see all these different people? It, Jesus, it proves that Jesus was correct. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Nancy said, look, the ends of the earth are coming back. They've heard the good news. And that leads us to the second image that Isaiah has for us. The hill will be lifted up and all men will be drawn, but then the word of God will go from Jerusalem to the nations. What is the word of God? It's the gospel, the good news. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 has this amazing phrase. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. We're not going to show it, but I'll just tell it to you. It says this. It says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, and therefore he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. You see what Isaiah is pointing towards here? There'd be a time when the cross of Christ is lifted up, when the word, the gospel would go forth. What is the gospel? It's the good news that we have been reconciled back to God. God has ended the war through forgiveness, the war that began in the garden with sin. That is the gospel that will go forward to all the nations, that in Christ, God has reconciled the world to the Father and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. When we know we are forgiven by God, we can forgive one another. We can put down our weapons and start cultivating with one another again. And that leads to the third question. What does peace look like? Peace looks like a garden. More correctly, like a gardener. You see how this flows? It says, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You see what happens when the, when the cross is lifted up and when all people are drawn to him and when the gospel goes forward from Jerusalem to the nations, that's when they will beat their swords into plowshares. I've heard this taught and preached a number of times. And usually what happens is the pastor or the teacher stands up and sort of wags the finger and says, you should beat your swords into plowshares. But that's not the flow here. The flow is that when the cross is lifted up, when the gospel goes forth, then they shall beat their swords into plowshares. See the difference? It's a causal effect. Think about it this way. If you knew that, that there was a war in your land and you spent a lot of time crafting a sword to be ready for battle, and you put it away in your closet waiting for the day the battle came to your house. But then you received the news that the war is over. And you went and you opened that closet door and you looked at your sword, you'd say, I guess I don't need this anymore. And you could beat that sword into a plowshare, into a gardening, into a farming tool to start cultivating your land again. That's what can happen in our lives. We are by our sinful nature at war with one another. But the promise of peace, the hope for peace, is when the cross is lifted up in our lives and when we speak the gospel to one another. When that happens, we'll realize we don't need to fight anymore. We can start cultivating again. We can be restored to the way that God made Adam and Eve, to the way God made all of us to live in harmony with one another, in unity with one another, in harmony with our Creator. God can restore the garden in our lives we can beat our swords into plowshares. We can stop using our hands and the tools of our hands to curse one another. And we can begin again to use our hands and the tools of our hands to bless one another. Now I just want to give a couple examples of what this actually looks like in our time, in our lives. And I want you to think about some ways that you might beat swords into plowshares in your life. One, just a couple months ago, we had a small team of people go to Guatemala. We send teams there occasionally, and uh, this last one was a small delegation. And they went down to Guatemala, and one of the people who went on the trip, his name is Bob Thompson, I think some of you know him. And he sent me this picture, which I'll describe in just a moment. They, they had gone into this village, El Tablon, which is sort of up a mountain, and they had gone with the intention of rebuilding a school. I think they remodeled the kitchen and some of the classrooms and they decided to do it in partnership with some of the leaders of the village. What they didn't know until they got there was that some of the leaders, they call them the village elders, they were in conflict with one another. There was a bit of a war going on in this Guatemalan village. But yet they still invited those elders to come and participate in the restoration project at the school. And Bob noticed that as the elders arrived, one by one, they were all carrying their machetes. But as they arrived to come and help out with this project, each one of them, one by one, removed their machete and placed it on this table, and then went and worked side by side towards restoring the school. And Bob took a picture of the table with all the machetes laying there. I knew I was going to be preaching the sermon just a few weeks later, and I thought, I've got to tell them this story. That because some Christian missionaries from Greenwich, Connecticut, showed up at this village in Guatemala and invited people into Christian mission to make their village a better place for the children, these elders who were at war with each other laid down their swords and got to work on this school. You see, the peace process is participatory. God doesn't bring peace and we just put our feet up in a hammock somewhere. He says, I want you to participate in this peace with me. I want you to work hard in beating your swords into plowshares and then using your plowshares to cultivate the ground once again, to bring life out of the ground that you would bless people and not curse them. And the second example of beating swords into plowshares was just this morning. It was already announced. 26 people from Stanwich went and worshipped at Allen Temple AME. I was so blessed by this. When I woke up Thursday morning and I saw the news out of Charleston, I did not know how to respond. The only prayer I could muster was that Romans 8 prayer where I said, Lord, this is too deep for me. I need you to pray Holy Spirit for me with groanings too deep for words. I don't know how to pray as I ought. Then I got an email from Steve Reedy saying, I have an idea for a way we can respond. What if we send a delegation of people to go worship at Allen Temple AME Sunday morning? And I replied back to him and I said, that is beating swords into plowshares. Because we're cultivating, aren't we? We're cultivating relationships with people. I don't know if any of you spent any time this week in the comments section under any of the news reports. Don't go there. It's a dark place. People are at war with each other. But this morning, white people and black people lifted up the hill. And they proclaimed the gospel to one another. And there was unity. There was a restoration of the garden, the way God intended us to live in harmony with him and with unity with one another. So I want you to think right now, just in closing, about what are the places in your life, what are the relationships in your life where you've been using a sword, where you can be cultivating. Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you've been down there in the comments section of some of those websites. With whom are you warring? Step number one is to lift up the hill of Calvary in your life. Step number two is to proclaim the gospel to one another. When those things happen, you will beat your swords into plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks. I'm going to conclude just by praying, asking that the Holy Spirit would open up those possibilities for you in your life that you would think About who God is leading you to bring peace, who God is leading you to restore the garden with. So let's pray. God, we don't want to learn about war anymore. We want to live in the garden that you created, we want to live in harmony with you and in unity with one another. But God, we confess we've used our hands and the tools of our hands to bring curse to those around us instead of blessing. God, we want you and your cross and your gospel to be lifted up in our lives. We know that when that happens, when the good news of reconciliation pours forth into our lives, that peace will be possible. We confess that because of sin, we're naturally at war with one another. And we look to you for the hope of peace. And we ask you to show us what peace would look like in our lives. Bring to mind right now, Holy Spirit, how we can participate in the peace process in our lives. And all God's children said, amen. Amen.